And our title this morning is The Danger of Perception. The Danger of Perception. Seeing people as Christ does. Do you ever look at somebody and think, no, that person's no chance, never will come to faith. Or I would never think ever inviting that person to church. There's, no, there's just no way we have a perception. We have an idea, a preconceived idea of who can and who can't be saved. And may I just add, if it was down to me who could be saved, I'm not so sure that there'll be as many as you sitting before me here this morning. Isn't that right? And I say, if we turn that around the other road, if you had the choice, I'm not just so sure I would be saved here this morning either. And that's why we need to be careful how we look at people, what we think about people, and how we think we know that about that person by simply looking at them or being told something about them. So read with me this morning, please. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, the first perhaps 10 verses here this morning. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he is of short of stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was, go for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw him, they all complained, saying, He is going to be with a guest. He is going to be a guest with a man who is a great sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. For if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to to seek and to save that which was lost. And we know that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. So today we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus, or at least a day in the life of Jesus. And what I want us to observe is how Jesus interacted with people. How he looked upon the world around him and how he interacted with, perhaps just call them great sinners. How did Jesus interact with people who otherwise wouldn't be sitting in our pews. I want us to consider how he spoke to people, how he received them, but ultimately how he changed people's lives. He took the sinner and he made them into a saint. And that's the power of the gospel. To lift the sinner out of the merry clay and to set them upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind us, church, that as we seek to reach people for the gospel, we are going to look at some people and we're going to say, no, I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to invite her. Uh, no, definitely that mom would have no interest in God. And, and, and that's what I mean. We need to be careful of our preconceived ideas of who can and can't be saved and who has an interest in the things of God. There's an old saying that will hopefully help, help us today, and it's going to be something that I'm going to be carrying through this theme to take home with. And the old saying is this. Don't look upon, pe don't look upon people as to what they are, but rather what they can be in Christ. Don't look upon people as to what they are, but rather what they can be in Christ. There's one thing that I know personally in what the scripture teaches, and it's this. That sin destroys a man and makes him an enemy of God. That's what sin does in a nutshell. 
There's so much more, but in a nutshell. But, but, but in Christ, Christ transforms the sinner and makes him into a friend of God, in a nutshell. So our thought today, and we, we, we need to bring it with us, is that it makes sure as a church that we don't look upon people as to what they are, but rather what they can be in Christ. Take a look around this room, perhaps. There was once some great sinners in this, in this assembly, now worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something I'm being very careful not to look at anybody directly. <laughs> because I'm not pointing at anybody. But there is great sinners, and perhaps you're looking at one, and I'm looking at many, who have been saved and are now no longer pursuing their own life, but living after the things of God. And that's something that is to be treasured and remembered. So our first we thought this morning, just to help us, is to be careful how we view others. At the very start of chapter 19, we're introduced to a, a strange character of a man, I suppose. A man called Zacchaeus. We know that Zacchaeus worked as a tax collector for, for, for Rome, who occupied Israel then. So that in itself would have caused problems. But we are told that this man, was, he was small in stature. But one thing that I know about this man, that he was rather large in reputation. And that's one thing that we need to remember. This man had a reputation. He wasn't just a wee short man who lifts tax. He had a re reputation. And in the tax collecting world, Zacchaeus was a big fish in a pond, in the pond. To help you understand this morning, every item that would enter Israel from the east, there had to be a tax paid to Rome for each item. It's the same today with the Rome customs and, and excise. And these taxes were collected inland at three main points. Capernaum, Jerusalem, and of course Jericho. And what we know here is that Jericho, Jericho was a major customs site. And this tells us something. It tells us that Zacchaeus controlled one of the big three. He was a big player, if you like. And he wasn't just a tax collector, Luke tells us, but a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was, if you like, the main man within that area for the customs. Those under his instruction would extort the people. They would take more money from them than they ought to have taken. And then Zacchaeus would take his share and he'd give what's left to Rome. And here's the thing. Rome did not care what went on as long as they got their bit of money. The whole thing was corrupt from the start to the finish. So what scripture is telling us is simply this church. That Zacchaeus was a crook. He was a dishonest man. He was not the type of man that you and I would naturally consider inviting to one of our services here in Monaghan. One commentator put it this way, Zacchaeus was a kingpin of the, of the Jericho tax cartel. He had the ethics of a modern-day drug dealer. Do you see what sort of man we're dealing with here? And we are told that he's a, a tax, or so we're told he's a, a chief tax collector. It shows his position. But, but Luke also tells us something else. He tells us that he's filthy rich. Why, why add that in? Well, it's not just a throwaway comment. This is yet another reference to the character of this man, the, the, the pedigree that he is. You see, Zacchaeus earned his wealth not through hard work or, or news in his head, but by dishonest gain. And that's what the Scripture is trying to show us here. He was a rogue. In other words, Zacchaeus was not a likely candidate to be saved. Church, we need to see this. This is not the type of man that, that, that we would ever consider of coming to one of our missions, one of our meetings. 
but we ought to. I want you to see the picture, what Luke is presenting to us here, that, that who the type of man that Zacchaeus was. This man was hated. He was an outcast in his own people. He was a man who took advantage of his position. He was a cheat. He was a traitor to his own people. A man that one would think would have absolutely no time for the things of God. You know why? His lifestyle would tell us that he was godless and that he was past saving. And that's the perception that you and I make when we look at people, certain people. There's a man, past saving. There's a woman, sure, who would go near, past saving. And, that, and that's what we need to be really, really careful with. And that's the danger of perception, our preconceived opinions of others. And we have them. I have them. We all have them. And they, they, these preconceived opinions of others often hinder us from ever, ever sharing Christ with them. And here's the truth. It's hard not to see a man for what he is. Isn't that right? It's hard not to look at somebody and think by the own boy, the own woman. It's hard not to look at somebody for what they are, not what they can be, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ came into their life. And we must be careful how we view people. And one thing that I've learned is this. To judge a book by its cover is very, very foolish. I'm one of them guys that, that I buy a book by its cover. Is anybody else like that? I'm a sucker for that. Perhaps that's, that's advertising at its best. I buy books because they look great. But they're often not that great. Of so many old-time books, there's not even a, a picture on the cover. In my study, books could be 100 years old, and I'll tell you, that's where I get much of my gleaning from. They're, they don't look like anything, but they're rich with content, rich with spiritual truths and reminders of who God is. So to judge a book by its cover is foolish, yet we often do just that with people. But we must remind ourselves, church, that the outcast, the unlikable, the drunkard, the, the drug addict, the cheat, all the great sinners, all can be saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say amen, church, because that's a truth that we want to take with us. Maybe you've got a family member this morning that's too far gone. Maybe you're married to somebody that you think's too far gone. Grandchildren, too far gone. There's none too far gone. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to his church. Wake up. Look around you. Look how I live my life for you as a, an example. Don't allow our preconceived ideas to, to hinder us from bringing the gospel to this God-forsaken world that many people call it. We can forget sometimes that Jesus loves sinners, don't we? And if that's true, that means he loves us all. Because we're all sinners. That means the Lord loves us and he loves sinners. And we can forget that. And here's something we need to remember. Zacchaeus was a great sinner. He walked the way of the transgressor. Have you ever walked it? I lived it for many years. He walked the way of the transgressor. But deep down, within this man, there was this desire to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. Don't look at the front, the big walls that people build around their lives. Just do what the Lord asks us to do. Tell people about God. Share the love of God with them. Treat them with respect. Church, be careful how we view people. You know, as Jesus was passing by, Zacchaeus tried to see him, we're told, but he was unable to see him because of the crowd. And here's a thought for you, church. Be careful of the crowd around you. Be careful of the crowd 
around you. Not today, just every day. The place where you walk, the place where you live, the place where you work. Be careful of the crowd. Being with the, the wrong crowd can often hinder you in life, but will almost certainly hinder you going on to the deeper things of God. And one thing that often hinders men from coming to faith is this, pride. Pride is the biggest thing that keeps men and women from coming to faith. The next thing that keeps men from coming to faith, in my opinion, is other people. Other people can be a great hindrance to, to, to helping people come to faith. And we see this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And I believe that God wants his church to understand the danger of the crowd. Maybe to remind us of the danger of the crowd. Look with me, uh, please, in your Bible. Go back a few verses. You'll actually be in the chapter 18. I want you to look at verse 35 with me. I'm going to read it, but it'd be good for you to read it for yourself with me. So you're skipping back to chapter 18 and go to verse 35. And here we see the danger of people, the hindrance of a crowd. And he drew near, this is Jesus, he drew near to Jericho. And a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And the crowd told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Son, or Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people walking in front of him rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet. See the danger of the people around us. And there's some of you perhaps today that you desire to draw near to the Lord. But there's many obstacles in your way, and I want to put this to you. If you're considering the things of God and you're, you're considering coming to faith and being saved, have a wee look around your life. Am I right in saying the obstacles before you, some of which is people? I want to leave that with you. There's people desiring to come to faith, go on with the Lord, but there's, there's many obstacles in your way. And these men told this poor sinner who desired to seek God to be silent. And here's what the scripture tells us. But he cried it all the more. If you want to go on with the Lord, you need to forget about people. You need to forget about their words. You need to go on and cry out all the more. And that's something that the Lord's telling us all. Be careful of other people around you. They will seek to hinder you. And that's something that we see here with Zacchaeus. But the scripture tells us that he cried out all the more to the Lord. He said, Jesus, have mercy on me. Here's the thing. The spirit of Antichrist, it doesn't want men to call out unto the Lord anymore. Because he understands the power of that name. I don't know about you, but I called out the poem in a house, not even knowing about the cross, really. A wee man at 24 lost. And all I know is I cried out to that name, and here I am. See, the, the Antichrist spur of this world knows the power when a man or woman cries out unto the Lord. Is it any wonder the name of Jesus is nearly removed from every government body on a global scale? Is it any wonder the believer has finds himself having little or no time to cry it unto the Lord in their, in their personal space? Is it any wonder there's some believers have got to this stage with absolutely no desire to call out upon the Lord? See, the, the Antichrist is busy. The spirit of the Antichrist is busy. But this man cried out despite the obstacles in his way and the people who tried to hold him back. And we're told this, that Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. That means for you, yes, little insignificant you, little insignificant me, when we take time to cry upon the Lord, he stops. That means something. I believe that means something to somebody here this morning. 
We just take time. Forsake the crowd. Forsake the busyness. The work will still be there tomorrow. I promise you. The Lord stops and listens. We're told that he stops. And here's what he says. He says to the wee blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And he simply said this, Lord, will you restore my sight? Will you open my eyes again, you see? There was something going on in this man's life and he needed help. He needed his eyes opened. And we're told that immediately he recovered his sight. You know what happened? He followed the Lord and he glorified him. He was saved and his eyes was opened. What a spiritual truth to the sinner coming to faith and seeing Jesus and receiving that salvation. Listen, what do you see it says then? It says, then all the people, here we go with these crowds again. Then all the people who tried to hinder him, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. See how quick the crowd changes their tone. If we allow the people to hinder us, they'll do it. If we go on and serve the Lord, they'll stand and wonder and praise God. There's a lesson in that. We're not going into this morning. I believe the Spirit will lead you in it. But see how the crowd tried to hinder this blind man from coming to faith and from, from being healed. And here he is praising the Lord for what he had did for him. So be careful of the crowd, the people around you. You know, I want to say this to you. There's a crowd that will try and keep you from going on in your faith with God. Are you experiencing that this morning? It's not a coincidence. There's also a crowd that will try to stop you from coming to save in faith. Are you experiencing that this morning? It's not a coincidence. It's as the Bible taught. Be careful of the people in your life who will keep you from the blessing of God because there is a crowd and there is a people around us all that will do just that. But this crowd was unable to keep Zacchaeus from Christ. We're told that he climbed a sycamore tree. What a picture. This wee man climbing up a tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe this tree is symbolic of the cross. What I see here is that Zacchaeus looked to this tree to find Christ. And the scriptures teach us that all who look to the cross will find Christ and be saved. You need to be saved here this morning. Look to Christ. Look to the cross for there and there alone will you find salvation. So be careful of the crowd around you. I wanted to give you another thought as we move on. I want to remind you this morning of the all-seeing eye of Christ. If you're into some, the symbolicness of all that's going on in the occult world, we all hear a lot about the all-seeing eye of Satan. Listen, Satan hasn't got an all-seeing eye. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and God alone is an all-seeing eye. I remember a man preaching about Satan taking over this world and how he has to try and get a hold of everybody. He says, every camera that you see up on every motorway in every nation across the world is it all an attempt for Satan to try and be like God? I see something in that. He hasn't got the ability. The all-seeing eye, remember this, is God. And I want to remind you of this this morning. I want you to notice as Zacchaeus climbed this tree to see Jesus. But long before Zacchaeus would climb this tree to see the Lord, Jesus' eye was ready upon Zacchaeus. Something in that church. And how often we too may feel lost. How often we see, feel insignificant in this good crowd of a world that we live in. We can sit among the crowd and be lonely. I have no worth at times. wonder why we're here. But Zacchaeus was a small man. He was lost. And he was among the crowd. And yet we see that God had his eye on him. And it's a beautiful picture of the love of God for each of you. See, this world would tell us that we are just one of many. That's what it tells the children. Is it any wonder they're... The country's wrecked. You're just 
by chance. You're a product of freak chance. There's no purpose in your life. You have no future. But the scripture tells us a wee different story. And I just want to throw out a few thoughts here this morning on what the scriptures teach. The Bible says this, before I formed you in the mother's womb, I knew you. He's speaking to you this morning, friends. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, the Lord says he knew you and he knows you. There is a gospel for you this morning. When I was a wee lost sinner, acting the wee hard lad, thinking I had it all made, I was lost inside. And when I heard them truths, I'm telling you, my heart began to break. There is one who curses. There's one who loves you. There's one who knows you and understands you, even if you don't understand yourself. Before I formed you, the Lord says, I knew you. The psalmist says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days are written in your book, and you ordained for, for me before one of them and came to be. Job says this, For his eyes are on the ways of man. He sees all his steps. Psalm 33 says, The Lord looks down from heaven. And he sees all the children of men. That to me doesn't remind me of a God that does not care. Do you know why, church? There's no eye like the eye of Christ upon the people of this earth. Upon the church, there's no eye like the eye of Jesus. And the eye of Jesus was upon Zacchaeus. Long before Zacchaeus' eye was upon Jesus. Can I say to you today, long before you come into this service today, whether you're here or you're online, the eye of Jesus is upon you. You need to know this. Because there's an antichrist spirit at work. And it seeks to destroy not just your life, but your family's life and your future. And I'll tell you all these lies. There is no God. You have no purpose. Nobody loves you. You're insignificant in this world. You're just one of many. But that's not the truth. You're created by God and in the image of God. And this old thing called sin that we did no hand in, entered into this world and contaminated us all. And therefore we're separated from God. That's where if you're not saved this morning, you're going mad. Because you can't function without him. Or you can fill it with all things. Many have tried and failed. The only thing that will satisfy the longing soul is what church? The Lord Jesus Christ. Long before you came here today, the eye of Christ is on you all. Yes, you may be sitting here and you may feel forsaken. You may feel lost in your life insignificant in this world but you need to know that even among this crowd the eye of Jesus is always upon you he loves you listen to what the psalmist says here in Psalm 139 one of my most favorite verses it says this and this is to each of us this morning for I know when you sit down and when you rise up think of that maybe you were lying on a gutter last night you didn't sit down you fell down his eyes was upon you he loves you you see, maybe you're sitting at home last night and you were in your bed, perhaps, tears in the pillow. You see, this is the, the eye of Jesus, the all-seeing, all-knowing God whom we preach to you this morning. He knows you and he loves you. And I'm telling you, there is a plan and a future for your life. But you, you need to get away from the crowd and rise up and cry it on to the Lord, whether you're saved or not this morning. I know when you sit down, the Lord says, and when you rise up. The case was closed in by the crowd. But he sought the Lord and he found him. The scripture says those who seek the Lord will find him. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And surely Zacchaeus was rewarded for his seeking. Now Jesus looked up to Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. For I must go to your house to stay. And at once we're told Zacchaeus came down and received him gladly. 
I want you to notice Zacchaeus' obedience to the Lord, and this is important. If God's seeking you and drawing you this morning, remember this. If you don't be obedient now, you know what's going to happen. The enemy's going to come. He's going to steal the word that's written on your heart, and you're going to forget about it. He made haste and came down, we're told, and he received Jesus with joy. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't make excuses. What's the excuse this morning for not being saved? What's your excuse this morning for living the way we live? What's the excuse this morning for not going on for the things of God? Do you know the amount of times I've heard people talk about apathy from COVID and it's real and it's here? But church, we have a decision. We can either sit and melt in our apathy or we can rise up and push against this spirit, whatever's going on, and lift up the gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and start to see things done or we can sit and die. He didn't make excuses. He didn't talk himself out of it Why I've done that many times. But he heard the living word speak and he instantly obeyed the word. And that's the importance of obedience in the life of the believer and those who are yet not saved. And as the case drew near to God, that Christ, he was nearly saved at this point. I want you to see this. The gates of hell began to rattle. If you're not saved this morning, you start coming. Even when I'm speaking to you this morning, I'm going to tell you the gates of hell is going to be rattling in your life. There's going to be all things going through your head to keep you from coming to faith. I'm telling you this morning, the gates of hell started to rattle once Zacchaeus started drawing near to the Lord. You know what we see rising up? Look in verse 7. I call this a spirit of distraction because it takes the eyes off what actually is happening. But it's just simply a complaining spirit here this morning. It's a complaining spirit. It's also, it causes distraction because what they didn't see, this this great sinner was seeking God and about to be saved, but all they could see was Jesus spending time with this great sinner. It's a spirit of distraction. Be careful of it in the church. Be careful of it in your own personal walk with Jesus and in your own life. And here we see that the people complained because Jesus took time to spend with the sinner. Come on, church. I remember mentioning one time going and doing outreach in the pubs in a church one night. wasn't here. Some of the responses wasn't great. We let it go. Didn't want to offend people. <clears throat> we let it go. I'm a bit more mature now. And I wouldn't have let it go had I been that place where I'm now. There's an Antichrist spirit, a complaining spirit that rises up to hinder the work of God. And the people complain because why? Because Jesus was spending time with a sinner. And here's the thing. <clears throat> a religious spirit a religious person, <clears throat> excuse me, often looks down on sinners and sees themselves better than them. <clears throat> I wasn't saved six months. I was given off about people lying drunk on the street. But six months ago, I myself was lying on the same street. <clears throat> excuse me. That's the danger of the Antichrist spirit. It's complaining spirit. But the Lord Jesus sits down with sinners in a bid to lift them up and to win them for the gospel. Never forget. And if you see a man or woman of God sitting with sinners, you pray for them. You encourage them and resist the urge to condemn them or talk about them. The Lord Jesus Christ sits down with sinners. Did he not sit with us? Jesus loves the sinners and he spent time with them. And we, the church, must learn to love them again and to seek to win them for Christ. The danger of perception in the church is this, that Christians feel that they are too good and that sinners are too bad and they are and we end up living in this holy, safe place that we create for ourselves. And I like these holy, safe places. We need them. They're very biblical. But we shouldn't hide in them. 
We must not allow this mindset to come in that we're too good and they're too bad. Jesus drew near to sinners and God moved for they came to faith and they were converted. They were born again by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to just close with this thought. I want to look at some fruits of conversion this morning. Because you know, when a man or woman repents, something changes. Now it takes time, perhaps, but something changes. And when a sinner is saved, there's a noticeable change in their life. We see a lot of people today saying they're, they're, they're saved and they're living in the, the most debased sin and saying, well, God has created me like this and this is who I am and I am I'm, I'm a Christian. Absolute nonsense. Sin has created them like that. The gospel has the power to change sinners, transform them. And that's something that's going to be watered down in this time, that the, the season that we're living in. But we're not going to water it down. The gospel has the power to change sinners. And when a sinner is saved, there's a noticeable change in their life, in their thinking, in how they talk, how they walk and, and do business in this world. There's a noticeable difference. And we see this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, we know, took money from the poor, money that was not his to take. And look at verse 8 and 10. 8 to 10, sorry. We see that Zacchaeus then gave his money to the poor. And this was all of his own will, by the way. Jesus didn't tell him to do this. This is a work of God, the born-again man, being changed within. What a change we see in the character of this man. It's instant. Not only did he give back money to the people, he restored it fourfold. That has to be the work of God. We would not do that on our own. And there will always be a difference in a sinner when they're saved. One man said this, that Zacchaeus was not only right with God, but right with man. Christian, here's a question for you. Are you right with your fellow man today? Now, we're not going to cut into that too deep. We're not going to start pulling my stuff out, but I'm just going to simply leave it like this. Are you right with your fellow man? Is there something that we have to do? That means we have to put things right. Whatever's in our power, we have to put things right. And as the Lord leads you, church, seek to put things right in your life and in your family. And, and these things can be difficult. But the Spirit of God is to unite and to put things right. And it takes time when a man comes to faith. And sometimes, I know, look, it takes a lifetime to seek to put everything right in our life. Eternity will bring that to pass. But, but there's power in the gospel to change sinners, to change all men into new men and women. I want to tell you this story. It's a true story, a story I, I read many, many years ago. It spoke about a, a small church in Scotland. There was a young girl, doesn't give her age, and she desired to be baptized. She'd come to faith. And because of her youth, the, the, the church, the, the pastor and the elders, they weren't just too sure was this woman truly saved, you see. It's a problem we all have. We have to trust God with a lot of it. But this young girl desired to be baptized. So they decided that the elders would interview the young girl with the aim of trying to discern if indeed she had encountered God and was really converted. Was there a change in her life, you see? So they asked her a few questions. The first question they asked her was this, did you ever discover for yourself that you yourself were a sinner? That was the first question. And without hesitation, the young girl said, I did indeed. I know too well that I'm a sinner. The second question was this, do you believe that you're still a sinner? And the young girl replied, yes, I know too well that I am still a sinner. The elder asked her one last question. Can you tell me, have you noticed any change in your life since you've came to faith? And the girl answered and said, well, yes, many things have changed within my personal life. 
But to answer your question, I say this. Before I was converted, I was running after sin. But now I'm running away from it. See, there's power in a conversion. Before we were saved, we didn't really understand much about sin. But boy, when we come to faith, we know what it is to have to run and to flee from its grip. And what we see here is both a change of our attitude and a change of a direction in that person. And so it is with the people of God. There's a change of attitude. There's a change of direction. We start to live differently. Amen? We start to live differently. We see this with Zacchaeus. This, this old snake was now a new man in Christ. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the day of salvation has come to your house. Church, the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse the vilest of sinners. Yes, the vilest of sinners. We need to remember this because we're going out. We're going out, church, dreading it, but we're going out. We're going to bring it with us. But we need to make sure that we know that we're going to be inviting even the vilest of sinners come to hear the good news of the gospel. For Jesus shows us the importance of not looking at people and writing them off. If you've done that this morning, repent of it. Ask the Lord to help you. Don't, don't write people off as the old religious crowd did. The church is to follow Christ in his mission. What is Christ's mission? Now we're finished. Look at verse 10. Can anybody see Christ's mission there? Feel free to shout it out. We're Pentecostal here. We don't mind shouting out a wee bit. As long as it's reverent and good. That's the mission. Thank you, Julie. The seeking to save that which is lost, church. That's the mission of the church. That's what we're going to be going to do. That's what we are doing every day, and that's what you do every day in your life. Zacchaeus was a cheat, a dishonest man, a man hated by men. But Christ didn't see what he was, but what he could be if he was saved. You see that? And as we live for God and seek to be a witness each day, and I know you all do in your life, is you're witnessing every day. Try not to allow that old enemy to blind you. The preconceived idea of what some man is or isn't. Remember this. Don't look upon, upon people as to what they are. Rather what they can be in Christ. Amen. Amen.